0: Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm with the licentious Eddie Matthews.
1: Hello, welcome back. Glad to have
0: you. (laughs) You too, you too. What are we talking about today? What crisis are we solving on today's Rationalist?
1: We're going to solve the NBA commissioner Adam Silver's uh, crisis with China, between the NBA and China.
0: Perfect. So if you're listening to this, Adam Silver, I know he's a frequent listener. We are for hire. Uh, we have extremely high rates, but this is, uh, this is once for free. This is just dipping our toes in the water.
1: Exactly. And uh, LeBron James, if you're listening to this, oh man, take some notes. If LeBron James is listening to this, he's probably not going
0: to be happy, is my, my guess. We haven't actually talked about our opinions on the matter in advance, but I have a feeling LeBron James is not going to come off looking too clean. He's going to be as scruffy as his hair. We'll see. We'll see. Now, you want to give us a little background on just the general concept for people who haven't heard about the controversy?
1: Yeah. Um, so, essentially, the protests that have been going on in Hong Kong, um, have garnered, you know, international attention for,
0: man, sorry about all the
1: ambient noise.
0: We add that in, actually, for, uh, (laughs) for extra special
1: effects. Yeah, we're very high production value. Um... So yeah, for all of the uh, protests that have been garnering international attention in Hong Kong, um, you know, pro-democracy protests, um, recently, Daryl Morey, GM of the Houston Rockets, just posted a photo, just uh, simply kind of supporting the protests, the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong on Twitter. Um, without a caption, without any kind of, um, you know, addendum or context, really just kind of posted the photo and then quickly deleted it. But, uh, the, you know, proverbial public relations damage had already been done. Um, China was very quick, quick to react and reacted very, um, forcibly. They demanded, apparently, you know, behind closed doors, they demanded that Daryl Morey be fired, um... And that the NBA take action. At least this is according to what Adam Silver said. And uh, China's the Chinese government has denied that they, you know, demanded that they're for there to be Daryl Morey's Daryl um, firing. However, they did say that retribution would would surely come for Adam Silver and his. Remarks. I feel like
0: you have to know you're the bad guy if you ever you ever utter the phrase retribution will be had.
1: Seriously. Um, <laughs> So, essentially, um, LeBron James, you know, happened to be uh, doing a tour in China around this time, and upon returning, uh, was interviewed in the Lakers' uh, locker room, uh, and you know during the preseason. And just uh, do you have a do you have a verbatim quote that we could? Yeah, I do. So I want to comment on a couple of things. So to the
0: actual picture that Maury quoted out that you mentioned was it said all it said was "Fight for Freedom, Stand with Hong Kong." Right. Which is a reference, and we can we can talk about the specifics of the Hong Kong protests a little bit in a bit. But yeah, for the from the NBA side, the controversy really got stirred up. A lot of people had been waiting for LeBron James to comment on the matter because LeBron James has in the past been so outspoken about social and political issues particularly in comparison to a lot of other athletes. And the NBA in particular has been – has kind of prided itself on being more socially conscious than the NFL in particular and a lot of other – pretty much every other professional sports league in the United States especially. And yeah. So what he said – yeah, what he said in response to Maury's tweet was I believe – and Moray wasn't educated on the situation at hand, but he spoke. And so many people could have been harmed, not only financially, but emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Yes, we all do have free freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative, And that can happen when you're not thinking about others and you're only thinking about yourself.
1: <laughs> so that
0: was LeBron James' quote.
1: Um, um, before we comment on yeah. uh, that quote, we should probably just give a little bit of context for listeners who, I mean, uh, I assume everybody listening to this has heard of LeBron James um, because he's arguably the greatest basketball player who has ever lived.
0: Well, now we're going to have to have another podcast. <laughs> <that>.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think as the years go on, it's that becomes harder and harder to argue. To argue but
0: um, I mean, against, it's basically him versus Michael Jordan, but yeah, yeah. Go, go on with
1: you. Um, but... He's become kind of, you know, he's not obviously not your average basketball player in terms of his talent, but also he's sort of a representative of the league at large. Like he kind of transcends whatever team he's on, um, because of how entrepreneurial he is. Um, he has his own sports agency, he has his own media production company, um, and so He tried
0: to trademark the term Taco Tuesday. That's how entrepreneurial what? he is as an example. Yeah.
1: Well Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um the league takes what he says uh very seriously, um, uh, much more so I would argue than any other player, because of just how much of a like cultural impact he uh as a player has. Um, So, just some context, you know, above and beyond all the MVP awards and finals that he's won, um, he's largely, uh, well, he's very much known for having like a very measured approach to the press and to social issues and to his uh, like cultural image um, or media personality in general. Um, And so he's not known at all for being rash or you know even when he was a kid even when he was like 1920 he was just i think he kind of demarcated this new era of the nba where you know someone could come out of high school and be one of the best players in the league a few years later and have just an incredibly um you know calm beyond his years kind of uh mentality like in press conferences E's, he always said the right things and uh you know, did not do the Rashid Wallace things of um, that make for a good interview. He just um, was kind of resolutely mature, even at a really young age, you know, and has obviously uh, proceeded with that as he's grown older and into his 30s.
0: Yeah, uh, I think he, even not just in the league, I think you can see from the reactions of the Hong Kong protesters how outsized James's reputation is beyond the sport. And as an ambassador of basketball worldwide, which we'll get into, basketball has attempted to expand throughout the globe, particularly into China and Africa. And he has been one of the most vocal voices in this expansion, which has made kind of his controversial statements and really, like you mentioned, really ill-measured statements, which was the surprising part to a lot of people, just how unfettered they seem to be in comparison to what we're used to from him. Um, There's a lot of backlash and bringing up old tweets where uh, LeBron James would say things, uh, like he would quote on his uh, Twitter quite often, Martin Luther King Jr., and the one of the ones that, I forget what it's called when something on Twitter, is is it just going viral? Something that became very popular in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of this was the quote injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere by Martin Luther King Jr. which you like Yeah he had liked that's and, um
1: and, that yeah. is uh part of the letter from Birmingham jail.
0: Mhm.
1: Do you want to talk about that? Um yeah, well, can we go back to um can you read his statement one more time and can we just talk about how uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, really can, how much of a disaster that is? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we I mean we we can let's pick on LeBron James a little bit more, but then let's talk about the NBA as a league in general. Um, But yeah, okay. So first first part, I believe Maury wasn't educated on the situation at hand. And so a lot of people have pointed out that Maury is, if not one of the most educated GMs in the league. He's definitely one of the most respected and has a a firm grasp of international issues. Um, he was in a A few books, he's very famous. He's essentially, the. he was in a Michael Lewis book about kind of money ball for basketball. He's very well respected around the league, very analytically driven, um, but definitely doesn't come off as uneducated in anyone's version of of, uh, their articulations of what he's all about. So the second part goes, and he spoke and so many people could have been harmed, not only financially, but emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So that's the first statement, the first sentence. Right. And then he goes on, Yes, all we yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen when you're not thinking about others and only thinking about yourself.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um That kind of like emotionally, spiritually, physically <laughs> Don't forget financially. Is so just nonsense. Um yeah. the idea that uh uh, who who is he even addressing? Is he addressing Americans? <laughs> it's a great
0: question. It's a great question.
1: Like who could possibly by uh, Daryl Morey posting, you know, uh, a photo on Twitter? Who's gonna be s- so somebody? Somebody is gonna be spiritually harmed by this pro democracy photo. Yeah, I think <coughs> the most charitable interpretation
0: is that he's specifically talking about Maury saying this while the Lakers and a couple other NBA teams were doing their tour of China. I see. Some people have tried to write it off that way, but I've in no way have I... Anything that he's said since made me think that that's what he was talking about specifically. And also, if that was what he was talking about, you would think that he would pretty clearly come out and say, actually, sorry, this is what I meant. <laughs> because right. it would... Really provide him with a more charitable uh, case, right. and the fact that he hasn't done that leads me to believe that that was not what he was trying to do. And he had, he has since come out and said, "Well, I've, I'm not a I'm an athlete. I'm not in politics," which is all the more hypocritical because, like what we mentioned, he has in the past very often stuck his uh, opinion into situations beyond the court and into the realm of American politics, particularly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he was just talking about financial ramifications.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's so, in love with that, but, you know, spiritual ramifications, you never know.
1: Yeah. I mean, Daryl Morey made it very clear that this was not uh, representative of the Rockets or of the league, and he deleted, and he apologized, which you could argue that that was also the wrong response from him, mm-hmm. right? Um but just the idea that LeBron James is going to criticize somebody exercising their first minimum right to free speech um, as a vague, as posing it as some sort of like vague attack on everybody's emotional, spiritual well being and not specifying anything. It's just, the, it's like the most nonsensical it, it's like he was talking as a corporation that's such a yeah, like corporate yeah. speak you know
0: it really is it's equivocation at its finest
1: so it's i think it's just really kind of depressing <laughs> to hear that from an otherwise just so um intelligent and you know interesting and like culturally attuned athlete you know do you
0: feel like he will have lost all credibility going forward when he does find a social issue closer to his heart that he decides he's going to become involved with?
1: I'm going to take it a lot less seriously now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard not to, right? Yeah. Um... Especially when you come out and say something like, oh, I'm just an athlete. Then how could – are we just supposed to forget about that till the next time, or has he just decided that – the money is worth never speaking up again.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, it's almost like the, I think that's the most, uh, just like limp response that he could have gotten is like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not a politician. I'm just an athlete. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After all of this, it's like, man, extremely weak. It's extremely weak. And it's just, I think it's just a little galling or jarring to see that from, somebody who had otherwise really strong convictions um, and I think that's what I think that's why people have such a distaste for politics because they see um, you know people outside of politics who act like real human beings with with um, views and convictions and, and uh, opinions and then they get into politics and they get very um, they get v- very bland and equivocal and um just automatons and so yeah I don't know um as far as it kind of seems like everyone just wants this to go away but it's not at all clear what the NBA is going to do if China continues I guess like it's not clear how they're gonna um approach protests or if anybody else speaks out about this and it's also not clear what they're prioritizing if they're prioritizing their contract they're like nearly four billion dollar you know um kind of revenue stream with china if they're willing to prioritize that lower than um allowing members of the league or teams to exercise free speech as it relates to hong kong and so with that being so murky I think Adam Silver, and I guess LeBron, for that matter, are trying to ride this wave, hoping things will settle down. And I think that if you know if there's any kind of historical precedent for these types of situations um, and that type of you know PR strategy, uh, it's not tenable. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about the the league here. So there's
0: a couple background factors. We can talk about Adam Silver, their response, and the financial aspects. You mentioned like $4 billion, It's ten. They say it's about 10% of current revenue. But I know that the NBA in particular had wanted China to be the cornerstone of their expansion efforts mm. into Asia and Africa. They just – announced plans for an NBA African League, which will be run by the NBA and throughout Africa. And they really do have plans for the NBA to be kind of the focal point of a much larger, more global NBA game. And this, I don't know if that blinded the league to potential conflicts abroad, that they just wanted this to happen so badly. They knew they needed expansion over the borders to compete with other sports like soccer internationally, or if they did have a plan and this just didn't fit the contingencies that they had on offer. But the response, the initial response from the NBA was, it seemed like they were caught off guard, which is surprising because it amazes me that a multi-billion dollar organization could be doing dealings with, China very publicly when... (laughs) So one of the things that's come out in the aftermath of this is people arguing about whether the Hong Kong protests are legitimate and whether they should be supported, which just ignores the thousands of other things that China is doing against human rights and focusing on a very specific aspect. I mean, I'm 100% in favor of of the Hong Kong protests and the kind of nitpicking into specific reasons and interpretations of whether that tweet was logically uh, directed at a specific cause totally ignores the fact that the NBA would have had to deal with China's imprisonment of Uyghur Muslims or yeah. their impositions in the South China Sea sooner or later. Yeah. The fact that a tweet caught the entire organization off guard is just kind of surprising. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what, you, what your thoughts are on that. What are the other things? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Or, or also just the... Um, increasing surveillance on mainland China of its own citizens. Um, There's some pretty horrific, (laughs) you know, reporting that's been done about this kind of system of is very like to use an extremely overused adjective Orwellian type of surveillance where the state of China will employ, um, people in neighborhoods to keep track of what they would say good deeds or essentially bad deeds um, of people like littering and like the most, and then they'll exact uh, like punitive punishment for the, in the form of, um, you know, restricting their travel and trains or all of the stuff uh, in terms of, in trying to create and micromanage at the most individual level what they think is like an upstanding, like right kind of uh communist party member. Uh, and so that in and of itself would be worth protesting, you know? And so I think just to kind of back your point, there's a lot to, you know, be repelled by that's going on in China right now. Um, and so for the NBA not to have a coherent strategy should any of its, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people who are affiliated with the league or, you know, even, you know, several dozen who are very prominently, you know, have like power within the league for there not to be any strategy about like how to manage them using their or exercising their free speech. Um, You know, even, even if we didn't agree with that strategy in terms of like if they were trying to discourage people from talking about these issues, which I wouldn't agree with because I are on the side of free speech. But you would think that they would still have some sort of strategy. And if, they're, and if they did have a strategy, and this was them enacting that strategy, they need to fire their PR company.
0: <laughs> I would say the PR company for the NBA is probably putting a lot of money into savings for some time off Yeah. Uh, once this blows over. Yeah, like you said, I think China is a, a great place for Ians at the moment. Uh, it's not only Orwellian, but... Pretty much dystopian, draconian, every single one of the adjectives you can think of with that <laughs> suffix. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we can talk about the financial aspect. So there, there is financial motivation, and people who have defended LeBron James and other players in the league that haven't spoken out or have supported China, like James Harden in the aftermath, have said, well, it's, you know, 500 million people watched at least one NBA game last year which is more than the entire population of the United States. It's 10% of the revenue stream. The rockets in particular have a really um, intense connection with China. They were kind of the team of China, which makes this even more interesting Hmm. because of Yao Ming's previous play for the Houston rockets. Um, And so there are a lot of these other complicating factors, but in the end, it really isn't as complicated as people are making it. I think the idea that... If it had been something like playing in China or something more indefensible, but tweeting that you're supporting a protest by someone who wasn't using the official Twitter account, was using his own Twitter account, if you're not defending that sort of free speech, then I'm not sure that you have any real defense at all. Um, and the idea that the NBA is being unfairly sorted, singled out, which I've also heard because there, you know, there's other companies. Nike and Adidas are also working with China. Also, doesn't hold a ton of water. I think that's also a pretty horrible defense to say, oh, other people are also doing terrible things. And to make matters worse, the NBA has built its brand on being socially conscious and, you know, recognizing of populations that are less well off in the past. And if that's going to be what you pride yourself on, you're going to have to, especially since. They're public officials, right? It's an, it's an entertainment sport. And if you're going to be in the public eye, unlike some of these companies, you're going to have to expect to deal with these issues in public sphere more than these other companies. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't... I would like to provide a more nuanced take, but I really feel strongly that this should in no way be controversial... And I think we can see that in the response of actual politicians in the United States to this case. This is really the first time in at least four years that I've seen Republicans and Democrats universally agree that the United States should stand up for free speech for anything, really, uh, which was fascinating because I do think that the rise of China will be something that kind of leads to more coalescence amongst the parties. And this was the first instance of that, and had, the fact that it had to do with sports and a tweet is kind of um, hilarious in its triviality, but also kind of lends itself to an interpretation of what the 21st century is going to be like in Chinese-American relations.
1: Yeah, I mean, what does the, let's say you and I are the NBA's um, PR team. Yeah. And let's say that we. Black and
0: Matthews. Yeah. Law.
1: And let's say we're, you know, doing essentially what apparently Adam Silver and the administration of the NBA are doing and prioritizing kind of like the future business ventures with China over, you know, some of the more moral concerns that uh, surround this issue, right? Do we think that's
0: what they're doing? We can talk about Adam Silver's response in a second, but yeah, I'll take your hypothetical let's
1: let's say that's my interpretation at least um and so yeah and I could be wrong you know there's probably a different way you can uh, interpret this as well but um let's say that's what it is and so that's our priority and we're the PR team what is it what do we have why wouldn't we just tell Adam Silver and LeBron James for that matter just say you know Daryl Morey's entitled to do his own opinion. Next question. You know, I'm I'm not going to comment on this. Um, I don't necessarily agree with Daryl Morey, but you know, he's very much entitled to his own opinion, and I respect his right to the First Amendment free speech. Well, I think one of the problems in having
0: a a company like the NBA that isn't really structured like a traditional company is, and is in the public eye, and it's essentially contractors in the forms of NBA players that have their own opinions and. Don't necessarily, you know, you're representing your team. Then the NBA is kind of this more uh, <laughs> big brother. We'll stick with the Orwellian metaphors, um, lurking in the background. That is kind of the brand. It's very different than a traditional organization. I'm not sure that the PR firm, if they even have one, that's supporting these efforts, would be able to control the opinions of the players. I'm, I'm, sh- I think I know they've tried. The NBA is. Most definitely, and the NBA Players Association has certainly discussed this issue, but that does not mean that they have the same kind of control over their employees internally that a normal organization would. I also, I mean, Adam Silver has, I think, been about as brazen in the follow-up to the original uh, response, which was horrible and, and really slight. He has basically been as brazen as any commissioner could have been in his position. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't go further than that, but I do feel like he comes off looking a lot better than LeBron James and a few of the other
1: people involved in the story. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, yeah, it maybe wasn't fair for me to loop him in. I think I was judging from like the first statement that he yeah, gave in fair. response, mm-hmm. um, which... At least at the time, set the tone for the conversation and priorities. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like certainly he's walked that back and has made it very clear that there will be no kind of um, uh, like disciplinary action on Daryl Morey, um, at yeah. least at least from the NBA's kind of perspective. Although there was speculation that the Rockets owner was considering replacing him, but um, hmm. that might have just been speculation. Um, yeah. Um. So. What do you
0: feel about – so we can get into just the aftermath. What do you think that this says about the state of U.S.-Chinese relations? And do you feel like this is going to be – this is going to kind of reverberate in other industries? Do you think this same idea of dealings with China is going to become more of a political issue as time goes on? Not just the NBA. Is the NBA just kind of the start because it is such a public industry? And is the first domino in you know, this kind of uh, collapse of Chinese-American relations that we've seen with the trade war and those sorts of things? Or do you think that this is just kind of a blip in the road because the economies are so large and they, you know, the continuation of economic success and any sort of uh, market demands is going to necessitate continued fair relations?
1: Yeah, I only see this problem getting worse. I don't see, I don't see how it doesn't, and I don't see how when it wouldn't kind of like uh, eke into other industries and um, so basically, I was kind of hesitant in some ways to criticize, uh, you know, Trump putting tariffs on China, like, so yes and no. So if he had done it out of kind of more of a moral principle and had a more of a coherent strategy for dealing with that trade partnership and um, like it for all the reasons that we just enumerated and all the human rights abuses that are going on in China in a very like, just like viciously, communist country you know if if we're speaking frank Um, it's hard not to see that we shouldn't have some sort of um, um, some sort of abject response to that right some sort of um, principled um, stance against such uh unacceptable human rights abuses. Um, But then, you know, kind of Trump took it as if it would help the American economy uh, and help American workers. And um, I'm not an economist, but I don't think that's borne out. Um, And so I guess to answer your question, like it's probably just gonna be a case by case, industry by industry thing. It does seem like the, the more that China's GDP catches up to our own, the more um, entrepreneurship is going to be interested in expanding to the Chinese market. And so I don't know how this already interconnected relationship that China and the U.S. has doesn't just become more and more and more complicated.
0: Yeah, so I'll just comment on a few of those things. I think 100% from a social standpoint, there is more than enough evidence that, you know, embargoes and economic sanctions should be brought up against a number of countries that the U.S. is currently not just dealing with, but aligning ourselves with in the current administration. That being said, I also think that there is merit behind the idea of being tough on China in terms of just economic issues. Um, Their intellectual property uh, regime is... Entirely unfair. And Trump is completely right about that. The way he's gone about enumerating that has been something else. But uh, there are definitely concerns, even beyond the social sphere, with U.S. Chinese relations. I, I think you're correct in saying that this is only going to get worse as China becomes more and more powerful. I think that at the same time, Chinese expansion and Chinese growth will lead hopefully the one benefit will be to a more grounded and unified American government. It is no coincidence that in the aftermath of the Cold War, the U.S. became increasingly fractious and now is about to have its second impeachment inquiry in five presidential terms, when there was only two in the previous, I don't know, 100 um, 45 or whatever. So the idea that the U.S. needs some sort of external opponent to unify what is very fractured and full of social and political cleavages domestically could also lead to, as we saw with the NBA issue, a more unified American government uh, domestically. Um, That would be my guess. Um, It could also go poorly and you know, external forces who are very cognizant of U.S. cleavages end up playing them off each other and, you know, a house divided against itself is also divided against the houses abroad, which would be the worst
1: scenario. I didn't anticipate that you're going to talk about cleavage so much in this episode.
0: <laughs> Dude, I uh, I actually had originally pitched an entire episode on cleavage, but...
1: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're right. It's a really interesting thought in terms of bringing uh you know kind of uh ameliorating this hyper-partisanship problem in the u.s by having a common shared enemy um i think that's what some people hoped that climate change would be and that's yeah. clearly not been the case for a lot of reasons it's not just because i don't think it's just because um there's like a certain contingent of the republican party that isn't Totally convinced on climate change. I think it's probably way more to do with climate change being such an incredibly complex and abstract problem. Well, a scientist Absolutely. Wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't argue that it's abstract at all. And certainly, if you look at the data and the you know the footage and the changes, it's certainly not an abstract problem. But when, I mean, the idea of of it not being something the individual American can kind of experience or see on a day-to-day basis, right? Um, I completely
0: agree. I think this is where popular culture makes it really easy to create analogies that kind of help explain. I think, what's the movie by uh, M. Night Shyamalan that did terribly about the plants being basically alive?
1: The Happening. The Happening. Happening. Yeah, no one watched that.
0: Exactly, because the bad guy was plants. That's... It's a very difficult and nebulous and even movies when there's no particular bad guy and it ends up being some cabal or some form of, you know, some organization, it's just a worse movie. It's less entertaining when you don't have a single focal point to express your anger or to go up against. People like to know that there's actually something you can do. You can take down that person. You can change their laws you can bring up economic sanctions i think the what i always try to use as an example for this is in every alien movie that's ever been made when the aliens invade all of the u.s or all of the countries in the world come together and fight off the aliens
1: and it's a tremendous
0: example <laughs> i mean name any alien movie and independence day too i haven't seen that one but i guarantee that's what happens We'll have to put our listeners out on some research. But uh, I mean, I think it's it's arguably true when you are presented with an enemy that is more different than other countries, and in this case, more different than the Republicans and Democrats, that's going to be the most likely thing, because then you're expanding what you consider your tribe to include everyone who's in America, which we don't have at the moment. Right now, we, when we look at the groups we consider ourselves part of, it has not been and probably will not continue to be the United States as a whole until something else threatens us from abroad. And that's terrifying to think that we actually need some sort of existential threat. But uh, I feel like I've gotten incredibly off topic from the NBA Hong
1: Kong debate, but (laughs) (laughs) hopefully this has been fruitful. Well, China is like, it's kind of a uniquely well-suited common enemy to bring both parties together because Mm -hmm. the Republican Party... Historically, you know, in many ways, rightly so, uh, has just completely found communism abhorrent, right? Yeah. Um, or at least, um, you know, and they're right to do so in the way in the in the way that every time communism's actually been implemented, it's turned out to be a disaster. So, the fact that um, it's also a human rights disaster right now, and it's the Communist Party in China. Uh, meeting out this human rights catastrophe can very much be something that can appall Republicans. And then, um, you know, the Democratic Party typically, uh, you know, being the party of, of trying to look out for the dispossessed, um, seeing these kind of international human rights abuses, we are equally appalled regardless of if they're meted out from a communist party or, you know, a a more uh, classically right-wing party, in this case, it being the um, extreme left-wing, right? And so, or it's like, it's almost like this seems so left-wing, it's come full circle into being this kind of authoritarian, like, fascist, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we could get into talk about kind of horseshoe theory and all that, but... uh... Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot there that both sides can agree on. Um, And it's a negative and a positive. I I think it's very interesting that the NBA is the center of attention in U.S.-Chinese relations at the moment because it just seems so odd to have sports be the center of politics when for so long sports have tried or at least the commissioners of the American sports leagues have tried so hard to keep sports abs- you know, absent from the political sphere.
1: Do you um, think, th- do you think yeah. sports should be absent from the political sphere?
0: So I, I think the, the way that the world is going with interconnectivity and globalization, I think this episode shows in particular that it doesn't really matter what the commissioners, nor I think. Sports will continue to be brought into politics more and more. Um, Do I think they should? I I mean, I think there's something to be said for having something that we can come together on as common entertainment, you know, Republicans, Democrats, Chinese, Americans, and, you know, Africans, Europeans. But I do, I I just don't think it's plausible. Um, I think that's, you know, nice rhetoric for a simpler time. Um, And I don't think that it really is necessary to answer that problem because I don't think there will ever be a time when sports is completely devoid of politics ever again.
1: Yeah, because it's almost like, it's almost bringing politics in or taking a political stance to try to enforce, hey, you know, among the players in the league and the uh, owners and whatnot, hey, don't be political, right? Like that itself is a very kind of like draconian kind of political Mm. stance. Um, And so I think it's just up to, the individual consumer of sports entertainment in the same way that they last election cycle, they would like interview Matt Damon and he would give his opinion on like what candidate, what like democratic candidate he thinks should win. And I was sitting there watching, why would I care what Matt Damon thinks about? Well, you obviously (laughs) didn't see the Martian. He's an American icon. Thinks about politics, you know? And I think that's probably the, Probably best, most natural response of most people when they hear an athlete, you know, kind of pontificate about their political orientation where it's like, why would I care what so-and-so thinks about politics, yeah. you know? But the case of LeBron James is, is especially the timing and, you know, every, he's a unique case that's not typical of most athletes. I do
0: think his case will serve as a warning for athletes in the, and leagues in the future who wanna gain some brownie points in the short term by saying and standing with certain social and cultural rights and protests who will be cognizant of the fact that bigger issues will come along and that'll make them look hypocritical.
1: Um so we'll see if that's that's meted out. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's certainly an interesting like it's just hard to tell what's gonna happen at this stalemate with Hong Kong, like are, there's already been kind of pretty small protests comparatively. And um, in like in NBA preseason games, as far as people standing outside of the arenas or, you know, fans um, wearing pro, you know, protests in Hong Kong, uh, pro-democracy kind of sh- shirts even in the arenas. And then it seems like different arenas have uh, handled that differently. And so yeah I mean as far as like we talk about the MEA the NBA as if it's this kind of totemic organization when it's not at all it's way more of a coalition of individual uh, institutions that agree to uh, a certain set of financial interests right yeah absolutely yeah
0: well uh, I just want to we can sign off with one of Chappelle's quotes that's got traction online in the aftermath of lebron's comments um it was part of a bigger bit which you can look up but he said basically if uh nelson mandela had had a shoe deal we'd still have a (laughs) part side i I think uh in the aftermath of that uh, the the only thing i can expect is that nike comes out with the the mandela 2020s uh shortly because if there's if there's room for economic growth, we'll we see that uh, nobody is uh, no company anyway, or at least entrepreneur is above board trying to squeeze out every ounce of money that they can get.
1: Yeah, that's almost like an interesting um, just like future thought to investigate is like at what point does entrepreneurship kind of turn the corner from being like a positive upward uh you know force that's creating jobs and impact into being this kind of like greedy solipsistic corrupt you know (laughs) endeavor i mean obviously entrepreneurship itself is neutral dude you
0: communist why don't you move to china man come on (laughs) no (laughs) um
1: but yeah i don't know it's interesting i'm glad all yeah i'm glad i'm not in the public eye (laughs) Um, excuse me, Rationalist is
0: bringing in the listeners. That's true. That's, That's true. Is, we are essentially being just as
1: brave as Adam Silver and, and the other Well, the fact too. like, how, what do you think about Daryl Morey's reaction to all of this? And basically, you know, bending to the, the political pressure and apologizing and taking down the tweet and everything.
0: So I think he apologized and took down the tweet, but he also never said that he was wrong. He uh. he basically said um, I'm I am do not my views don't represent you know the Rockets but he never actually said I don't support those views and he has still been held up as kind of a, a supporter in the Hong Kong protests a lot of the signs have to do with supporting Maury and you know burning an effigy Dr, James jerseys um, so yeah we'll see I I mean I think it would have been a stronger move, absolutely, to keep the tweet up and say, you know, I'm allowed to do what I want uh, as an individual and not as an employee. Um, and we'll see if it goes that direction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it could have been better, it could have been worse. It would be my interpretation.
1: Yeah. 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 Well. So did we solve it? I think we solved it. I hope Adam Silver's <laughs> taking notes. I'm
0: sure Adam Silver already has us on speed dial, so we might... Uh, Next time you hear it, we'll have even better background car special effects because we'll be getting paid by the NBA. So,
1: I think that's the other sad thing about being a public figure is that no one seems to be able to admit that they were wrong. Yeah. Um, which is like, man, that's probably a good topic for a future episode of just this idea that we want our politicians and our uh, you know, uh, public personalities to be these, like, homogenous set of values and beliefs to never change uh, even after decades or experience, like...
0: Yeah, well, we want them to have opinions, but we don't want them to have opinions,
1: you know? (laughs) (laughs) I just... um, It's a really sad thing that that is the thing that's, like, worship most is, like, consistency over... You know, consistency when when you're not necessarily... It's not like it's not the good type of consistency. I, I would say
0: it's worse than that. I would say it's not just temporal consistency. It's consistency aligned with whatever political party you are deemed to be on the side of.
1: Right, yeah. It's Even not, if you've yeah.
0: had a consistent view over time that doesn't align with current interpretations of your political party's viewpoints, that's gonna be critiqued and Yeah. So I mean it's it's we we should definitely have an episode on that.
1: I would would be down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of episodes and such, feel free to tweet at us some ideas, or if you have our numbers, text us. Um, Several of our episodes at this point have come from ideas of people, from both my brothers, from uh, some of your siblings. And so, yeah, yeah, keep it coming. Because we're not just these... um, we don't just have thousands of ideas to That's entertain true. We've you We've got
0: literally no ideas. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, LeBron actually tweeted us for advice on this. That's how this episode kind of came about.
0: It was completely our fault. Now we're just backtracking for public uh,
1: solvency. <laughs> yeah,
0: prosperity purposes.
1: Um, and so, yeah, follow us at at rationalist Pod. Um, give us a give us a five star rating on iTunes. Or a one-star rating on iTunes, if that's what you're into. Um, maybe a little review. It'll take <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds of your day. Um, even if it's mean, we want to hear it. Even if it's mean, it'll be
0: entertaining. And one more thing I just want to say to all the rational listeners out there, it was just uh, just my co-host here, his, his birthday. So you know maybe shoot him a birthday birthday tweet if you can.
1: Yeah, He'll I turned 27, 27 on October 26th. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a kind of a strange day for a few reasons, but, um, maybe I'll I'll opine on that later. Maybe when we're both, maybe after three or four years of doing this pod, we can, and we're both had just turned 30, we can reflect on our twenties and just be like, what a strange decade that was at least it was for me it is what currently is we'll see what the next three years bring.
0: we'll be like oh, man after we made our first million from the pod really uh things really got dark so yeah. that's what i'm anticipating
1: yeah <laughs> so we'll see all right but
0: anyway happy birthday dude hopefully uh, this was a good one hopefully looking forward to hearing from the listeners adios bye listeners. till next time